good to see you all. I was sitting at the front and didn't get a chance to look at it to see who's here. But it's nice to see many that I remember and and uh, nice to see some new people here too. So. Um, this is kind of funny. Uh, at uh, breakfast this morning, I was saying to Beth that I I wish that Lakeside had their old wooden pulpit back. I'd, <laughs> I didn't like that glass pulpit anyway. <laughs> but now I, I have to have something to hang on to all the time. And uh, some of you wouldn't know I, I have Parkinson's disease, so I tremor. And if I get excited about something, I tremor. Well, when I preach, I get excited. <laughs> so I come here this morning, there isn't even a glass pulpit. <laughs> I just have to hang on to this, and if I shake too bad, we'll, we'll worry about it later. <laughs> Um, my symptoms have not progressed very much and uh, I'm thankful to the Lord that I can continue on as much as I am and uh, ask you to keep praying for us and the Lord will bless us. Um, it's been mentioned I pastor a little church at Curve Lake First Nation. Uh, our regular attendance is about 18 or 20. So, uh, boy, I soaked up that music this morning. <laughs> That worship time is so wonderful. You guys are privileged. I hope you realize that. Uh, we enjoy our little congregation, but the bigger one has so many other things to offer too. So, um, And as uh, Gord prayed, we're in a kind of a strange little valley right now at our church at Curve Lake. It's a church of 20 people, or if everybody came, maybe 25, and yet <clears throat> right now we have so much illness, it's really really a challenge of faith. It's a, I think everybody's struggling with why God. Um, we have one lady that has uh, had diabetes for many years, had a kidney transplant, and she got 14 years out of it, and then it failed, and that's about normal. And now she's back on dialysis and all kinds of problems. And, and it, it creates all kinds of other problems. And uh, one of our men has uh, had a, a leg amputated years ago, and now his heart's given out. And he uh, he figures as every every week, several times, his defibrillator keeps him going. It just shocks him back to life again. Um, and a lady who's been the kingpin of the little church, she's related to everybody, and and uh, she's a, a one of the mothers of the whole community. And she has very, very serious cancer, um, bone cancer. She's over the last few weeks, few months, has uh, had a broken arm and uh, both both legs broke. Different incidents because of the cancer just eats it up. And uh, I could go some more. <laughs> it's a strange thing. How how could there be that much suffering in such a tiny group? But God knows what He's doing. I, I sure don't, <laughs> but uh, that's, uh, that's when you pray for us, or you think of us, pray for Curve Lake, and uh, that God will show himself, God will reveal himself in glory, prove himself to people. So, uh, <clears throat> Well, um, when, I was a, when I was a little guy, my earliest memory from when I was a little wee lad my earliest memory is my mother telling us or reading us Bible stories at night. Before I was big enough to go to school, I can remember her. And she had, now that I think about this, 
I was born in 1945, so five, six years later than that. She had a Bible with colored pictures in it. It must have been a really rare, rare thing, but I, I have that Bible at home. And it's a treasure. And, um, and she would read these Bible stories and a lot of the Old Testament Bible so-called heroes are, um, rather disappointing. Their lives don't turn out as well as they should. But there's one, well, there's several, but one that was my favorite as a little boy was the story of Samuel. And um, so I still love the story of Samuel. He is a true Bible hero. He, he lived his whole life faithfully for God. There's no negative in it. It's, it's just a life lived for God. And uh, he's still one of my heroes. So several weeks ago, I started preaching through the book of First Samuel, or the stories of Samuel, and uh, thrilled with it, just like I was when I was a little lad. And uh, I came to chapter 7. Chapter 7 in First Samuel, if you want to look it up, we'll be going through it piece by piece. So First Samuel chapter 7. Um, Here's one of these chapters, and this is a rarity in the Old Testament. Here's a chapter that's really nice. It's, uh, it's good to read. <laughs> it's, uh, the way I put it, it's a chapter that spells out how it should be. This is the way things should happen. Um, it's a chapter where the people want to serve God. Wow! Most of the time the prophets are on their case that they're not serving God at all. And here the people want to serve God. They want to look out, search for God. And, and at the same time, they have a godly leader to help them. And the godly leader calls them to repentance. That they have to repent of what's wrong in their lives if they're going to serve God. And you know what? They did it. They repented of their sin and they turned to God and they served God only. I, the, the songs we sang this morning, several of them talk about that. It's God only. It's Christ only. And so, this is a wonderful chapter where God does what God does. And then, at the end of the chapter, God comes and delivers them from their situation. Let's look at chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. <clears throat> um the started verse 2, actually. That verse 1 is part of the chapter beforehand. Verse 2. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. That Kiriath-Jerim is not the place where the, the ark of the God was supposed to be. It, well, that was at Shiloh. This was a town on the border with the Philistines. And there, it was a border town where the ark was kept temporary. Now, the ark, let me fill you in again, it's not the ark that, that Noah built. The ark in these stories is a golden covered wooden box that was supposed to be in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle. And inside of it were the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone, a pot of manna, the food they ate in the wilderness, and the, the rod of this walking stick of Aaron that came to life. And those three were inside that golden box. And over top of it were beautiful golden angels. And that ark 
symbolizes the presence of God. We were just singing this morning about letting the Holy Spirit teach us to, to see the presence of God. Well, the ark was the symbol of the presence of God in, in that day and age. And they, the people mourned because the things were not right, and they sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherah, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Asherahs and served the Lord only. There's the part I said, this is the way it should be. Verse 2, they mourned and sought after the Lord. Verse 3, if Samuel said, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. Down in verse 4 it says they did that, exactly. But then Samuel gives them a strict teaching. He says, if you're going to say yes to God, You've got to have, you have to say no to the false gods. You can't have both at the same time. He says, if you're going to say yes to what is right, what is righteous, then you have to say no to what is wrong. How can we know the difference? We need to study, search, learn all we can about the person of God. The person of God is the only barometer we have that shows us the difference between right and wrong. The character and the spoken will of God gives us direction, gives us an ethical base. This is a major issue in our current day because our society has rejected the righteousness of God. If you want to study on that a little farther, Rabbi Zacharias wrote a wonderful book called Can We Be Good Without God? And his answer is no. Without God, we can't even determine what is good, let alone live what's good. And so Samuel says to these people of Israel, if you are returning with all your heart, if you're really going to turn back to God, then get rid of your gods, your foreign gods, and get rid of your Baals and Asherahs. Now you probably need a little explanation of Baals and Asherahs. If you studied biblical archaeology, you'll find lots about it. The Baals were fertility gods, male, male fertility gods. And on every high hill, they would build a temple to the Baal to the Father God. And on the, on the same hill, there are sometimes alternating hills, they would build altars to the female God, Asherah. And when they had ceremonies, people would pay significant amounts of money to go up to these high places. Now there's a phrase you'll get in the Old Testament all the time, high places. They go up to these high places and they pay their money and there would be great numbers of temple prostitutes, male and female. And there was open, totally perverted sexuality. 
that you, anything you can't even imagine was going on. And the theory was, the teaching was, if you pay your money and have sex with the priests and priestesses, then the gods will have sex, and then all the fertility will flow down to your, your farm in the valley. So you have this, up on the high hill would be these temples, and down below is your farm. And if the blessing flowed down from the high places, then all your sheep would have lambs. And all your donkeys would have little donkeys. And all your cows would have calves. And all your crops would be bountiful crops. There would be lots of grapes and lots of wine. And there would be olive oil for everything. And you would be rich. And you know what else? You could put curses on your neighbor's farm. And you would win And that's a, that's a very attractive philosophy. How would you stand against that? And you see, this is the key issue of the Old Testament. Would they follow the Baals and Asherah? Or would they follow God? Would they search for God? And you can't have both, because... If you want blessing on your farm, you either trust the true God or you trust the fertility gods. But you can't have both. And this is what Samuel said to them. If you are returning to the Lord your God with all your heart, then get rid of your Baals and Asherah. And compared to the other stories in the Old Testament, this is remarkable because it says they did it. They got rid of all their Baals and Asherahs and they served God only. Wow. Wow. And then what happened? Well, they gathered together at a place called Mizpah. And they pray. They ask Samuel to pray for them. And then they have a water ceremony that's not explained at all. It says they took they drew out water, and they poured it out before the Lord, and they confessed their sins. Now, there's something similar to that in the story of David, but this is the only place in the Bible that it's this ceremony. So I don't know what it means. All we can assume is that water is valuable. In the Middle East, water is more valuable than oil. Uh so it has something to do with pouring out what's valuable to us. Uh, and water is always a symbol of cleansing. So it has that, that image in it too. And all through the Bible, water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So there are all kinds of images mixed in here. Um, and, and what it meant, I don't know, except I think it has to do with the sense of repentance. And they fasted. They went without food. Now, it doesn't say this is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the only holiday in the Jewish calendar where you don't eat. All the rest of them have feasts, not fast. But this situation, they fasted. They went without food for, it doesn't say how long. And they confessed their sins. Where they had deviated from God and from God's word and God's will, 
They confess it. You know what the word confess means? It's Hebrew and it means to agree. If God says that a certain activity in your life is not in keeping with his will, our first first way we respond is usually, oh, no, no, it's okay. That's not so bad. You know what confess means? Just say, yes, God, you're right. I give in. <laughs> that thing that you're talking to me about, yeah, it's wrong. And repent means turn around. Don't do it anymore. And so these people really respond well. Amazing chapter in the Bible. And then chapter verse, verse, verse 7 following, the Philistines show up. The Philistines lived in the area that we now call Gaza Strip. And um, they were perpetual enemies of Israel for many years. And for many years, they were much stronger than Israel. One of the reasons was they had iron implements and iron weapons before the Israelites did. And the Israelites have this great gathering at Mizpah. Dozens of them, thousands of them come out. And uh, whenever there's a, an oppressed people, and they all get together in one place and have a celebration of some kind, the people who oppress them are going to show up pretty quick. And if you have problems with that, just watch the evening news. <laughs> it still goes on. The oppressed people gather together for a rally, a big thing going on, and before you could count to ten, the power people come and start breaking it up, breaking it up. Fascinating. Here's 3,000 years ago, the same thing happened. As soon as the Israelites got together to worship God in this way, the Philistines showed up, and they start to have a, a war. And the people turned to Samuel, and they say, pray for us. And they put their trust totally in God. And, and Samuel offers a sacrifice and prays for them. And they go out to battle against the Philistines. And God shows up. One of the things that's so fascinating about the Bible is the variety of ways that God responds. Uh, this one, there's a, a battle going, a hand-to-hand battle. And what does God do? He invented the sound cannon. They still use it to break up rallies today. God created such tremendous thunder that it terrified the Philistines and threw them into disarray. And they ran for their lives. And the Israelis followed after them and defeated them. And so the story ends very positively. All of Samuel's lifetime, the people served God. And they had victory, and they had freedom, and they had peace. Now, does this, does this mean anything to us today? I mean, this happened 3,000 years ago. <laughs> Do you see any parallels? As, as, you, as we read through that, do you, do you start to see the parallels? That God shows up when we fulfill certain conditions. The first one is, to seek the Lord. 
If you've been away from close relationship with God, to return to God. Return to close relationship. To seek God is to desire to hear his voice. Desire to feel his presence. And to make it important enough that you'll work on it. And I know you all are here because you're here. One of the huge issues of our our whole culture is that Saturday night is not conducive to resting. And so most people in our culture are too beat up after Friday night and Saturday night that they can't get up on Sunday morning. And if you want to seek God, you've got to change what you do Saturday night in order you can be here in the morning. Our church is even earlier than this. Our church starts at 9.30. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> and, you know, a few years ago, I had to change a very practical thing. Uh, I love hockey. <laughs> and the second game on Saturday night doesn't finish till 1 o'clock. <laughs> now, the first game is pretty good. But every once in a while, I'd like to watch that second game. But, oh, oh, dear. <laughs> The next morning, I'm no good for nothing. <laughs> you see, seeking God is not pie in the sky. Seeking God is arranging your life in ways that you can search for God. I'm astounded. I studied the, through the Bible one time using a concordance. There are 70 major cha- passages that talk about looking for God. Seek for God. Go look for God. Return to God. Not just references, I'm talking major passages. This is the theme of the Bible. Turn and go back to God. Search for God. Fall in love with God. Walk with God. Enjoy God. Sing to God. Drum to God. (laughs) Just love God. But if you're going to do that, what's the the other side of it. If you are returning to God with all your heart, then get rid of... We don't have idols anymore, do we? We don't have these silly little things that I studied in archaeology class years ago. Little people that stand them on a shelf and there's an earthquake, they fall over. But what are the driving forces of our modern society? I believe one of the great driving forces of our modern society is perverted sexuality. And I believe one of the great driving forces of our modern society is the excess of money, perversion of wealth. And one of the great driving forces of our society is the desire for power to control other people's lives. Whether it's in family or community or any other kind of relationships. Things have changed a great deal. But on the moral front, things haven't changed much at all. There's a great book by Richard Foster called Money, Sex, and Power. Intriguing, it didn't sell well in Christian bookstores. He actually changed the name of the title of the book. I forget what he called it. Then it started to sell better. (laughs) But that's still the issues for us. 
Now notice, I didn't say sex is wrong. Sex is created by God, is wonderful, beautiful, enjoyable, amazing. But God put a fence of protection around it. He said, the one you're married to, your husband and your wife, it's got to be in that fence, in that safe place, in that place where we can really learn to love each other. You know, why did God create marriage? Now, here's one idea. I think one of the most wonderful characteristics of God is that he's faithful. He's absolutely faithful. He never fails us. We sang that this morning too, didn't we? And why should we be married? I think after, well, Beth and I just finished 50 years last month together. You know what? We've learned a little bit about being faithful. Not near like God, but <laughs> but we're getting a little bit. And I believe that's why God created the barriers to, to make sex a holy thing between man and wife, is to create the issue, the situation where we learn from God. And we bring glory to God. And I didn't say that money was wrong. In fact, in the Old Testament, one of the symbols of God's blessing is that people that God blessed got rich. But money is useful to us only if it doesn't draw us away from God. If we have too many things to do and too much entertainment to look at so that we don't have time to search for God anymore, that's wrong. We need to search for God even in different ways. I, I one time was camping with a Chinese fellow from Richmond Hill. And uh, we were in a kid's camp and we were in the same tent. And I went and did some stuff. And I, I came back to the tent to get something. And here's this guy laying in a sleeping bag with his phone. He's just waking up and he's got his phone. <laughs> I said, who in the world are you talking to at this hour of the morning? Oh, God. He says, <laughs> he had the Bible and he had uh, several devotional things and he was singing uh, all on his phone and the first thing he did he get out of the sleeping bag he gets his phone and starts worshiping God you see the things, the tangible things that we buy with our money, that's not wrong but our money has to serve God now listen to this if you love God You'll use your money for good. If you love your money, you'll try to use God. But that goes nowhere. If you love God, you'll use your money for good. But if you love money, you'll try to use God. But money itself is not evil. And of course, power. Power is not evil. God creates us with influence and teaches us how to have influence and, and power in relationships. But if that power goes to our heads, turns us against God, then we're in trouble. 
And so in our modern society, even these three things hold. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Don't be as a half a Christian. Dive in fully everything. Be totally given over to God and seek Him and love Him and serve Him. Enjoy Him. Jeremiah says, a wonderful verse in Jeremiah chapter 29. says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you and plans to give you hope and a future. That wasn't a very easy plan, I'll tell you. I read the rest of Jeremiah and there was terrible things ahead of them. But then it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now look at this verse. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from your captivity. There's an amazing use of words there. God says, you seek for me, and I will be found by you. When we seek for God, he will reveal himself. But the other part is still there. You need to turn away from the fertility gods of our of our society and seek God only. Enter into godly use of your money. Enter into godly enjoyment of sex. Enter into godly use of power, but always serving God. And how will God show up? I don't know. It'll surprise the heck out of you. God has the most intriguing ways of entering into our lives. I, I one time was teaching a conference on listening to God and listening prayer. And I asked them, how will you know that it's from God? If you get a message, a dream, a vision, how would you know it's from God? And we were sitting at the front and there was tables right handy here and there was people when somebody at that front table said, it will be reasonable. And I don't know whether it was the right thing to say or not, but I said, have you ever read the Bible? God has the strangest ways of doing things. You read through the Bible and you say, did God do that? Really? Yeah, God does amazing things. Wonderful thing. And he will come to us. And as we live this life, seeking God, turning away from evil, following after God, God will reveal himself. And we will live lives of difficulty, but victory. We will live lives of struggle, but joy. We will live lives of peace in our hearts, peace with God and peace with each other. We'll live lives the way it was supposed to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your working in the lives of the Israelites so many years ago. We thank you that you are still managing history to make the rivers flow where you want them to flow. And Lord, 
We thank you that you are a God who calls us to holiness, to righteousness, to repentance. I pray, Lord, that you will work in our hearts today, that we will seek God with all our hearts, turn away from what is wrong and evil, and trust you in every circumstance of life. And Father, we wait to see how you will show up. What surprises you have for us. What victories you have for us. What unusual, amazing things. Lord, help us to live with you in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.